Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 just dropped in theaters. James Gunn ended his trilogy with a ton of emotionality and incredible visual effects. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We just watched Guardians of the Galaxy, an early screening, thanks to IMAX, our great friends over there. We had a really good time. This is exactly what I was expecting for the film. It had laughs. It had tears. It had what looked like the best visual effects we've seen in a Marvel movie since No Way Home. I was thoroughly impressed from start to finish, and it had excellent acting from its very talented cast. Well, I mean, No Way Home's a Sony movie. Oh, that's true. So, that's I mean, true. some of the best visual effects that we've seen from Marvel and the MCU in years, yeah. I will say. I, I, think, thought, I think that was the best part. Yeah, I, I enjoy myself at this film, and it's the third to this trilogy. I adore the Guardians of the Galaxy. The first film is one of my favorite in the entire MCU. I love the second one, even though that probably gets the most hate out of this entire you trilogy. You and I are divided on that Anthony's one. Anthony's not a huge fan. A lot of people dislike the second or not dislike it, it's just like they rank it pretty low. I think the second one's awesome. I cried like a baby at the end of that movie. And I think what James Gunn with the third one was really, really clever in terms of centering the story around Rocket Raccoon. We finally get like that um, Rocket Raccoon kind of line. And then his origin story of how he got his abilities, how he was modified and experimented on by this crazy galactic Geneticist. The, the evolutionary. Galactic geneticist. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. You got it, man. Galactic gen- geneticist. The high evolutionary. <laughs> GG words, man. GG. <laughs> so I-, I think it was a great idea to just focus on Rocket because he's such a loved character. And I've always been curious about where he came from, why he's so intelligent. And I- it kind of showed how superiorly intelligent he is to everyone else in the Guardians of the Galaxy, for sure. That's a great point because he says in the first one, doesn't he say something like, there's nothing like me? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, he says something like, there's nothing out there like We've me. We've just been getting teased about Rocket's origins and how smart he is, how clever he is. I knew he was a genius, but I didn't realize how he was this much of a genius at such mm-hmm. a young age be- being experimented on as a little baby raccoon. And another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. My, probably my favorite part about the film was Gamora reverting back to the original Gamora, we ever, we, the first Gamora we ever saw. And I liked how Zoe Zaldana got to do something very different from what she's done in the past 10 years and really basically portray a new version of the character and I found that to be one of the most exciting parts of the film with her performance and just really how she now bounced off this family where she was once a member and also a partner of Quill and now just being like a completely different person and I really found her performance to be my favorite part of the entire film. Yeah, That's interesting. I wouldn't say it's exactly like what she was like before when she first joined because what they did was clever again making Gamora just a different version completely new 
and just way more cynical than she ever was and kind of an antagonist for a good part of the film and mm-hmm. hates the Guardians of the Galaxy, doesn't care about them, doesn't give a crap about Peter Quill, just wants to get Quinn. back. She's a Ravager <laughs> you mean now. Quinn? Uh, who do I say? Because she calls him Quinn. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, did I say it wrong? No, no, you said it perfectly. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> I think that was the best line. He's being all emotional. She goes, Quinn. He's like, Quill. It's Quill. <laughs> so, but she's just like, so, like I said, so much more cynical more cynical than I think we were expecting it to be, which I think was a, a plus because it's just a different Gamora, what that path would have been like if the blip happened and she was in this crazy situation like everyone else at Endgame. And now yeah. she's a Ravager, just like Peter Quill was a Ravager, but she's like kind of one of their leaders. And, and I thought that's a great point. She was terrific in this movie, just a new version of the character. But it still showed she, she still has that heart inside of her and that desire to do good and to help others. And, there were hints of that and flourishes of that in this film until eventually she decided to risk her life to help the Guardians out and kind of become one of them in a way, even though she left them at the end. She did join them for this entire uh, sequence of events. and So it proved that she still has that deep down inside of her and we'll probably see that side of her in the future because I know this was a farewell. They're all not coming really. back. Really. Everyone's coming back except for Batista. No, it's always all done. It's not coming back. She's, she's done? She's done as Gamora. She's done, done? She announced it. Okay. Interesting. She's so done She said she's done. Scarjo said she's done. Batista said he's done. Get your money and get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scarjo got the real money. She got Scarjo paid. Got, Scarjo got the 60 mil mo- for one we, year that's money. That's what we know of. That's what we know of. <laughs> uh, Batista, I, I'm, I'm sure Batista has been pretty well paid, but Drax has always been like uh, never like a, a lead character. So I'm sure he hasn't gotten like Chris Pratt money, Zoe Saldana money before. Um, so, okay, so Pratt's coming back for sure. I'm sure we'll see Rocket, Bradley Cooper coming back. And then I'm sure Vin Diesel will voice <laughs> Groot whenever he's whenever it's, easy. it's called on him to do it. 200K for a, a day of work, no problem. So, uh, okay, so it is kind of, it's like a legit farewell then. I didn't know that Saldana confirmed not coming back. Yeah, well, that was just like the other day. Uh-huh, okay. I think she's done. I mean, she was work, She works on a huge, bunch of big productions like this that require a lot of visual effects work, especially with this. Oh, yeah, you're talking about when she said she's kind of done with studio big pictures. Because she's doing Got Avatar. Yes. And I mean, I'm sure yes. she wants to do other things. Same thing mm-hmm. with Bautista because Bautista's probably the best actor that was like wrestler turned actor entertainer turned actor he's yeah. terrific I mean he's been in Denis Villeneuve movies and he's just he's such a talent and I, I prefer when actors and actresses leave the MCU just to start doing other things like Elizabeth Olsen now that she's left the MCU she has time to do more interesting projects so I'm a huge fan of actors leaving big productions and big franchises yeah and Zaldana and Pratt are a couple of the the most talented actors that the MCU has had over the past 10 years they're two terrific actors and then the other three have really come into their own in their performances as well including um Karen Gillan as Nebula and I like this film it finally solidified the fact that they're a family I, li- I like the opening choosing creep and centering upon a kind of a solitary rocket who still is creep ha- by Radiohead? Yeah, creep by Radiohead. Get some, get some context in there, bud. <laughs> Sorry, he's just running. And uh, he's even though he's amongst this family, he still is. He still does feel isolated. He still does feel like he can't fit in anywhere. And so I like how Gunn structured the story around him and his backstory, and then eventually him finding his people and his own kind. And I'm sure he's going to build his own family, which is really fantastic. And the heart of this movie obviously was Rocket. The main components of this film, yeah, are, are Rocket and his 
almost on the brink of death and they're trying to save him. They have to somehow bypass this technology that's inside of his heart, around his heart. A kill switch. Yeah, a kill switch so that they can save his life. As well as, you know, Peter Quill still reeling from the loss of his Gamora, the Gamora he was in love with. And trying to come to terms with that, obviously, it's taken an effect on him. <laughs> Did he remind you of uh, JGL from 500 Days of Summer? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look anything like Summer. <laughs> <laughs> Except she looks exactly like Gamora. Because <laughs> she is Gamora. And I think this movie did a lot of things really well. But I also did think it did a few things not so well that we'll talk about both. And I, I want to talk about the pros for sure yeah. immediately because... I thought it had a terrific opening, like Andy said, uh, the song Choice of Creep by Radiohead set the tone really well with Rocket. I think we, he's James Gunn established real quickly that Rocket's going to be the main character of this movie right away, and I was really emotionally pulled in just from the sequence of Rocket playing Creep by Radiohead for everywhere, everyone in Nowhere, and the Guardians have set up Nowhere as kind of their home, their base of operations, their headquarters. They got a little community going. The squad's there. They got Nebula, Mantis, Drax, everyone, obviously except for Gamora, because their Gamora has passed away. She was thrown off that cliff. Gamora's dead. She was thrown <laughs> off that magic cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been the best line. And yet. I think if I had to pick a, a specifically a favorite part to this movie, it would be the huge practical sets. Now, James Gunn, I think, made this film an outlier to recent MCU projects where we have massive sets, obviously plenty of green screen, plenty of visual effects, plenty of use of the volume, I'm sure, but they had some massive sets, especially Nowhere. This set looked incredible. It looked like an amusement park, like you, you could walk around it, like like a Galaxy's Edge or something like that. So I thought that this film did a terrific job with the production design, building these huge sets, lots of practical props. And, of course, there's plenty of visual effects, but like we said earlier, the visual effects in this film, probably the best we've seen in the MCU since maybe Endgame. I maybe. mean, I was not counting No Way Home. I was really impressed by them, most notably of Rocket Raccoon, because we got a, a ton of him in the first few minutes, and, it, and immediately I was like, wow, this is the best Rocket's ever looked. They've, they're really nailing the CGI clothing, not just the, the CGI character, but the clothing look pretty real like because clothing can be like obviously you can make it look texturally like it's there but to make it feel like it's actually on top as another layer on top of a body that is a challenge with clothing plus the body of a raccoon that's exactly in the, in, in the hair <laughs> and i think they really nailed it and i was there was the best raccoon we'd seen so far a rocket raccoon that we've seen so far and then all around all the visuals really just there wasn't a moment where i was like oh that's typical mcu i was I think that they put a lot of resources into this because of the flack they've gotten over the past eight months or so. And so hopefully we'll see more of this in the MCU films of them going back to making sure the CGI is really up to par with the highest quality standards. Because I found it to be really fantastic and really helped pull me in. And also for the little Critter family of friends that we get in the flashbacks, they all looked excellent as well. Plus that organic space station place. Oh, yeah, that yeah. That looked yeah. real as fuck. I was like, <laughs> this is, first of all, super weird, but also it looked terrific. Yeah. It looked really good. So the CGI in this movie, the best we've seen in years coming out of strictly the MCU and their projects. And going back to it being weird as hell, I thought that was a great strength of this movie. Just being super odd, bonkers, weird, crazy. Yeah. James Gunn, his 
previous work before working in the MCU franchise, he was making weird-ass movies. Slither. S- Slither is, is a creepy, weird movie. Look up stills if you've never seen it of, of Rooker when he was in that movie. <laughs> it's going to weird you the hell out. You yeah. might have nightmares about it. But if you've never seen it and you like weird stuff, I recommend checking it out. Even Super is weird yeah, it's with a, Rain it's, Wilson. It's a weird movie, yeah, but like weird I, movie. I mean in terms of like the physicality body, of weirdness, yeah, like yeah. body horror and like weird practical horror. I thought this movie had so much of it. And I thought it was a great strength for the film. I also really enjoyed, there was quite a good amount of gore, especially ripping off um, that dude's the evolutionary's face. Like, because they took his face off. Yeah. And you, I mean, I kudos to Gunn. I'm sure he it took a little convincing to get Disney to sign off on that kind of level of gore for a PG-13 Marvel film. But I really appreciated it. There were also a few other aspects of pretty decent gore that was, I mean, pretty graphic. And I remember after the film was over, uh, a mom behind us asked her like teenage daughter, like, are you going to have nightmares after this? She was like, I don't think so. But there was some good stuff because, you know, a lot of the kids' movies we love growing up, they could be pretty graphic at some times and they could be pretty scary. So I think that James Gunn was able to put that into this film and it added a lot to it, which I really enjoyed. I loved the the taking of the evolutionary's face off. I think that was absolutely a highlight of the film. And Pretty much the majority, I believe, of the MCU films are PG-13. And one of the cool things and perks of having a PG-13 <laughs> movie is you can drop an F-bomb in there. And it's one of those things, in addition to gore, that we've always been wanting to see, I guess you could say, in an MCU project. The gore is something that I've always wanted because there's been so many elements and opportunities for gore that I think they've just shied away from because they want to appeal as many kids as possible. But this one was creepy and scary. And then dropping the F-bomb halfway through the movie was super fun and the audience loved it because we were all waiting for it. We all knew that this is the first MCU project with a with the word fuck in it. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's the first uh-huh. time ever they've done it. So I think it was pretty exciting and kind of charting new territory, maybe paving the way for getting everyone ready for an MCU Deadpool, which is supposed to be rated R. I still think it's going to be a very soft R. Maybe like two fuck words. <laughs> and that's it. So PG- but kids don't swear. So PG-13, you get to say one fuck word. Meanwhile, we were watching South Park bigger, longer, and uncut in theaters when we were 12. <laughs> seen a lot of things that we shouldn't have seen when we were 12. Radar movies. <laughs> so I thought that was super fun. Maybe, yes. like I said, testing the waters for getting more graphic and more serious for the content of films going forward in the MCU. Yeah, I think that it worked really well and the audience loved it. And we saw this in early screening with clear super fans of the property and the characters and they seemed to have a really good time at the film. I will say though, it didn't seem like the comedy worked like it did in previous films. For me, it definitely didn't. There were a few laughs here and there and it was pretty funny throughout. But it wasn't, I I didn't see it even comparing to the humor of the first and even the second film. You could hear it even with these super fans in the crowd. There wasn't much laughter during clear jokes. And there were jokes that did hit, but I think there were actually quite a lot of missed jokes, especially a lot of the Drax jokes didn't seem to really land. Not particularly for me because I think it was like the same kind of joke we've heard now 50 times. And so I think the one of the weaknesses to the film was it, it was lacking the comedy that we had come to expect from the Guardians. I, I agree. In the Mantis line, some of them hit, but for the most part, I think you're right that we've heard these jokes a lot of times, especially the specific ones to each of these characters, and they kind of didn't really tread new ground when it came to new humor. I mean, the first Guardians movie was 2014. The second one was 2017, so we're six or 2018 six, seven years removed from the second film, 
I was expecting gut-busting humor the whole time, like the first two. Yeah. Those are the two of the funniest movies in the entire MCU up there with Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. those three. And even Peter Quill, his humor wasn't really landing for me every time either, and he's just like a funny, charming guy. But also his character, I wouldn't say he was kind of a shell of himself a lot, but I mean he's reeling from his yeah. lot, the loss of Gamora, so yeah. he's not exactly himself. I understand Overall, that. Overall, it is a darker-themed film, but still, they you, they did try a lot of humor. That's the thing. Yeah. So yeah, I love the dark tone, but you're right. When they were trying to hit the humor, it was not really hitting people in the funny bone like it usually does. Mm-hmm. And I was a little surprised by that. I was expecting it to be one of the funniest movies of the year, which I'm sure a lot of people did and yeah. probably will laugh their butts off and did laugh their butts off, but for... Well, laugh your tails off if yeah. you want to. But I mean, we're, you know, again, we're the 33rd movie into the MCU right now. We've heard <laughs> a lot of these jokes before. We've yeah. heard a lot, seen a lot of these plot points before. So that's something that I want to talk about when we get into the cons, but I want to stay on the pros and things that did well. And I think my, one of my favorite parts of this film was Nathan Fillion, yeah. which I guess you could say is a glorified cameo. Such a loved actor for a bunch of sci-fi fans and sci-fi nerds. And to finally get him like in the MCU and or in a big franchise because people have been dying to see this guy in huge projects. Like how he wasn't cast in Uncharted is still beyond me. He was perfect. I watched his uh, like his uh, self-made little short and it was great. He's he's yeah. perfect for Uncharted, but it is what it he is. He even looks good with the dark hair. He's in this, he had perfect. dark hair. So I think that it was so fun for a lot of audience members to finally see Nathan Fillion in a big role. In the one of the biggest movies of the year, so I thought that was really exciting. I thought his I thought his character was really funny and, and interesting. Yeah, and I love the suits they were wearing. The security guards of the organic yeah. station. <laughs> Super weird. Gunn posted this video of you signing posters, and then he was like berating his assistant off screen for like not moving the posters fast enough. <laughs> and then it panned up, and it was Nathan Fillion. <laughs> he, he was like, you know, I give you a role in the movie. It comes with other requirements and responsibilities that you have to be able to perform. <laughs> That's so funny. He was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're absolutely right. It was great. <laughs> now, another great strength to this film, which is something that we've been dying to see in the MCU for years, is a freaking straight-up evil villain. No empathy, no backstory. I don't care what his past was like. I don't care if his mom abandoned him. I just want to see <laughs> evil freaking people being bad guys in movies, and we got that with the high evolutionary, one of the most despicable and hateful characters, most easily hateable characters in the MCU because of his actions, because of his beliefs and morals, and how horrible of a person and being he is. And I just love that. Finally, just a freaking evil dude is a is a villain in the MCU. And it was a it was a really good character. I love the design, especially when we learned that Rocket had tore his face apart, so he had this like face basically stretched onto his his exposed skin and i liked having a bad guy like this again and we didn't need to have the empathy he really was a terrible terrible being and he got what he deserved and i love the the final battle when all the guardians that each throw in they each get their lick in basically and then rocket like uh, blows him away When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
I think that this film, like I said, did so many things well. But when it comes to recent MCU, I think that it also has the most disappointing character that I've seen in years in the MCU. And that's with Adam Warlock, played by Will Poulter. Now, Adam Warlock was advertised in trailers and teasers as, like, a, from my perspective when I watched the teasers and trailers, a badass superhero kind of s character. And he had a cool opening where he fought Rocket, Ra- Rocket Raccoon and then took off. He, he fought everyone, yeah. Yeah, he, fought, he beat the crap out of everybody. Yeah. Really cool powers. And again, the teasers and trailers, he doesn't say a line, right? I can't think of when he says any dialogue. Which say, yeah. Now we know why, because every time he opens his mouth, he's a doofus, idiot, bumbling little child man. Man-child, yeah. Man-child. And obviously the character, according to this film, he's not like fully developed. He was awakened early from his cocoon of the sovereign, whatever they said. His mother is played by Elizabeth Elizabeth Debicki, which we saw in the previous um, Guardians movies as sovereign, obviously in the second film, mm-hmm. most, important, most importantly. Now, I thought this was going to be a great character in a... Now, looking back on it, I think it was a huge missed opportunity where they could have made Adam Warlock into... An incredibly powerful, strong character, not phys- not just physically, but emotionally and intellect wise. And I think it would have been a, he would have been a great adversary to the Guardians if he was going to be an antagonist for the first half, then turns protagonist like he does in the film. This is the second half. Sure, I I was just really let down by this character because I, I'm a huge fan of Will Poulter. I think he's one of the mo- one of those talented young actors right now, and I can't wait to see what he does with the rest of his career. And I was so intrigued by the character when I saw him sign up for it. And the character design looks really cool. The trailers, he looked awesome. But I was just really let down that he was just like another typical bumbling doofus guy of the MCU. You know what I mean? Just yeah. add to the collection. Because like obviously like most comic book characters outside of like the, the A-team kind of squads, I've never heard of these characters before they get announced in films. Same. <laughs> I didn't know who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. I barely knew who Iron Man was, I think, when that got announced. So we're not very familiar with comics. But uh, when this character was announced, I would I talked to a bunch of people who told me all about the character. And they were very excited. And um, I think that based on my expectations from what just my little bit of research and then from what people told me, I also found Adam Warlock to be very underwhelming. Um, it played for a couple of pretty good laughs. Uh, like when he melted that guy, and that was pretty funny. But also, with all there was a lot of fan buildup for this character, and a lot of expectation. From my perspective, it didn't seem like they delivered really anything, and it was just kind of like a run of the mill kind of typical MCU character we're getting nowadays. I agree with you. There was an opportunity to create a really fantastic dynamic character that could have paved the way for. Uh, a big future in the MCU. Obviously, Will Poulter would be back as Adam Warlock, and I'm sure he'll grow, but I was expecting a much cooler character than what we got in the film. But I was so into Rocket and Rocket's origin story. I thought that was my favorite part of the movie. Little baby Rocket and what he went through and, and the pain that he w- was caused, not just emotional, not just physically, but emotionally, plus having those friends and also the guilt that he's carried probably his entire life of being, in his opinion, the cause of their deaths because he was trying to escape. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got so much exposition on Rocket that I think we all wanted. We all wanted to know more about Rocket, Ra- Rocket Raccoon. He's awesome. One of my favorite characters in the MCU. And that was, I think, probably the greatest strength of the film was the emphasis on his origins and then 
him getting basically revenge later yeah. on in coming full circle. Yeah, it really worked. And I would say, I would compare Rocket losing his friends and his backstory. It, re- it was reminiscent of you know, Bambi and Bambi's mother's death. And then also Fox and the Hound. It rem- I had- You're going to make me tear up <laughs> just bringing these movies I, up. I think it, it, it was a good callback to feeling that kind of deep loss that I did when I watched those movies as a kid. And so I'm sure this, these sequences will resonate with a lot of young people, just like those did with us. And I love how when he's getting his revenge, he's not doing what he wanted to do as younger Rocket and kill the High Evolutionary because he says, I'm a guardian of the freaking galaxy. So that's why they're going to like bring him to not just like just murder him right there. So he's, yeah. his, his, yeah. he's changed so much, even though this person has caused nothing but pain in his life. Because he's changed so much as a as a character his entire life, he's gonna do the right thing. Agreed, yeah. Which I I love that. Yeah. Now the soundtrack for all the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, especially the first two, are tremendous. You know, that's one of James Gunn's great strengths in this franchise so far, I think has been his selection of music choices. But my favorite part of the soundtrack in this movie was bringing Redbone back from volume one yeah. with the come and get your love, like exactly. the theme yeah. kind yeah. of of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great moment to throw in. Yeah, and, and Peter risking his life just to get the, the MP3 player for him. I thought Peter was going to die, dude. I know, I thought I they thought were going to kill dead. him. I thought they were going to kill him. Holy crap. <laughs> also... Hollywood, you do not freeze in space. <laughs> well, the, well, he didn't freeze, uh-huh. so he just got really cold. So it's really cold in space, but it's not like a lot well, of movies. His face like expanded and froze, though. I think that's just the pressure. His face expanded from pressure. Uh-huh. So it seems scientifically pretty accurate because it is pretty damn fucking cold in space. Yeah. However, when a lot of movies like turn you into an ice pop and then <laughs> you just like explode, it's not like that. So I think that they were actually pretty scientifically accurate okay, to right. what would happen to you in space. You would become very cold. I don't know about the fro- I guess the frost, the moisture on your face would frost up. So actually, it's that made a lot of sense to me. All right, okay. And I maybe think that was just the the different pressure making his face his expand. Face. Okay, maybe you might be right. Yeah. I, for me, I thought it was the moisture inside of his flesh expanding and freezing. Well, because it is I, that cold. Let me check the temperature in space. Temperature in space is got to be pretty chilly in space. Oh, it's got to be freezing. Well, it's I guess be- it's uh depends on how close you are to a sun. Does temperature exist in space? Space itself has no temperature. Current temperature in space is about negative 20 Celsius, negative 450 Fahrenheit. So it seemed like pretty accurate. All right, that's pretty cold. I think so that the frosting up of his face, I think, makes sense. (laughs) But I like how he didn't turn into an ice popsicle. Okay, yeah, I agree. I agree. (laughs) Because it's only out there for like uh, less than a minute. Yeah. But I thought he was dead, man. I thought he was. I thought, I thought were... he was dead too. I was like, damn, they're really. Kill-. I was like, okay, all right. See, I see you, Marvel. I see you killing off major characters. This Seriously. movie reminded me so much of was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Secret of the Ooze with the big creatures, like the two tough guys. Can't nom, remember their nom, names. Nom 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 noms. Nom noms. Nom, Go noms. play. Have fun. All the like the creatures reminded oh, yeah, me yeah, of yeah. them, and also. Yeah. High Evolutionary reminded me of Sid from Toy Story next door. Like, yeah, he does two assaults and yeah, stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> it was a good time. I, I enjoyed the film. I, I liked it. I laughed. I cried. And it was it was pretty fun for the most part. But I would just say, out of all three films, I would say this is the weakest of the Guardians films. So I think it ranks 7 out of 10. I think it ranks perfectly 1, 2, 3 yeah. for me personally. I agree. Yeah. I, I don't think you can top that first one. It's just a freaking sensational movie. Mm-hmm. And again, I love the second film. I don't care what anyone says. I really enjoyed that movie. I love Kurt Russell in anything. but um, And then the third one, I think, is solid. But I think that's the order. One, two, yeah. three. 
MCU now only has what three trilogies because Thor has four movies. So mm-hmm. when it comes to MCU trilogies, it's Iron Man, Cap. And I mean, then Civil this War one, a real? Uh, is it a really a Cap movie? It's you know, it's <laughs> it's a Cap Avengers movie. <laughs> Cap Avengers. Avengers. That's also what I really like about this movie is there's no one fucking else in it. Yeah. It's just the fucking Guardians. Yeah. We don't. We're not setting up a bunch of other characters to get their own TV shows, or, or maybe they are, but like, <laughs> nah, man. No other Avengers popping in for fun. That's it. It's just the Guardians. Yeah. That's it. I've I've been wanting that for a while. I've been wanting a bad villain, just an evil guy. Or evil lady, and then just just <laughs> focus on one goddamn storyline, just one set of characters. That's it. That's it. I don't want freaking Spider-Man webbing in here. I don't want <laughs> like anyone else popping up. Just just the Guardians. Thank you. Thanks, James. I, I appreciate. We don't, it. Need, so, we don't need Don Cheadle to walk through the door. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't need it. We don't need it. <laughs> so thank you. Agreed. I appreciated that very much. Just like one story. Yeah, that's it. One, there, one set of characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always need to be a team up. And right now, uh, we're filming this episode on May 1st, and obviously this came out on May 5th. So according to Rotten Tomatoes right now, this film is at 77% on Rotten Tomatoes critic score. The audience score has not been released. I think it's a pretty solid rating. I'm guessing it'll probably drop down a few pegs on the audience score, but I'm, assur- I'm assuming the, I mean the critic score, but I'm assuming the audience score will be huge, probably in the 90s. IMDb, that score is not out yet either. So pretty much the only people who have seen it are us and other people for early screenings. Nobody except for us. Nobody. Just us two. The box office projections right now 100? are $120 to $150 million. Really solid, but again, that's going to be probably like a four-day weekend, Wednesday to Sunday. It's going to gonna Sunday. be front-loaded, yeah. So we'll see. Uh, I'm sure it'll break 100 no problem. Yeah. Internationally opening weekend. I'm sure and it'll I be don't a hit. think the other two uh, grossed 100 On the opening weekends? Yeah. I don't think the other two Maybe. did. Maybe. I know the first one grossed 700 60? globally. Oh, yeah. It was a huge hit. So yeah, they're, yeah. Bo- they're both huge hits. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying I think it would definitely have the biggest opening weekend of the trilogy without a doubt. Well, I mean, we've always been talking and we've been trying to make people aware of how the opening weekends changed so much because now they count screenings that are on Wednesdays and Thursdays <laughs> that are – you go you go on Thursday, there's 78 screenings at your local theater for <laughs> Guardians 3. So, like, the opening weekend statistics are just – Different. Yeah, yeah. They've just been different the last four They've years. They've changed things forever. forever. <laughs> For like the last four years, it's just like, all right. <laughs> yeah, we're also going to count the weekend before. <laughs> I uh, But I actually, I, I'm not sure if this film can outperform the first Guardians. We'll see. I don't think so either. We'll see. I think it'll top out at 6, 650. I think so. We'll see. I think superhero fatigue is setting in, and I think even though people love Guardians, they may wait for this to be on Disney+, Plus, Yeah, which maybe. it will be on in probably two months. But you know what? We could be wrong. I'm, I'm expecting... Easily clearing 600 mil uh-huh. globally. Easy. No problem. Profitable film. It's going to be a hit. Oh, yeah. It's It'll be, be one of the biggest of the year. Yeah. But I hope you all enjoyed this review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Please let us know how you enjoyed this episode. Leave in comments, like, subscribing, listening, wherever you are. We appreciate it so much. Those five-star reviews are so beneficial to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. It's the best way to support our show. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keene, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy-Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian Singleton, Tyler McFly, Andrew Hagen. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.